Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay, and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply. I hope you're all doing so well and welcome back to the Criminal Makeup Podcast. Each episode we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history and today we are going to be talking about the case of Christine Paolilla. So Christine, she had a pretty rough in school, okay? She was bullied a lot. She had to move from school to school. She could just never fit in anywhere. Unfortunately, in Christine's eyes, she just had one of those childhoods that just did not seem to work out. Like nothing went right for her. However, she went to a new high school and the two so-called popular kids, Rachel and Tiffany, they decided to befriend her. And it seemed like everything was great. They turned Christine's life around and it all seemed like a perfect movie. We've all seen those teen movies where there's a girl or a boy, whatever, and they have it really rough, they're bullied, and then they go to a new school and they get a makeover. It basically is like clueless. However, then a few other things started happening. There were drugs, jealousy, influences of bad boyfriends. And when all of this started to mix together, it all went to hell. And sadly, there would be no happy ending as we see in so many of these cases. So that is what we are going to be covering today. So let's dive in. Christine Paolilla was born on the 31st of March 1986, making her an Aries. She grew up in Long Island, New York, where she lived with her dad, Charles, her mom, Laurie, and then her older brother, John. Now, Christine, at a very young age, suffered tragedy because when she was just two years old, her dad, Charles, he worked on high-rise buildings in New York. He was a construction worker and a load of bricks fell on him and it killed him, which is so tragic. And Christine's mom, Laurie, after this happened, she really struggled to cope with the loss of her husband. But that wasn't the only tragedy the family faced because just a few months later, Christine's grandfather and also her great grandmother, they also passed away. And as a toddler, Christine once said to her mom, mommy, why is it the people that I love go away? Which all my God, if that doesn't pull on your heartstrings, I don't know what will. So like I said, Laurie was really struggling to cope with everything. She was also really struggling financially now as well. Now, after the accident with Charles, he did have a life insurance policy, but the insurance policy left all of the money to Christine, which she couldn't access until she was 18 years old. So this all became too much for Laurie and she turned to drugs to numb the pain and she became heavily addicted. And things got so bad that when Christine was seven years old, her and her brother were removed from their mom's custody and were sent to live with their other grandparents. So if you think about it, so much has changed in such a small space of time for Christine, but it was only getting worse for Christine because after moving in with her grandparents, she received some life-changing news and she was diagnosed with alopecia. And if you don't know what alopecia is, it is an autoimmune disorder where your immune system attacks your hair follicles, which then results in hair loss. Now, there are a few different types. I think there's three different types of alopecia, and I don't know which one Christine had, but she was losing a lot of hair on her head. I don't think she lost all of her hair, but she was getting bald patches and clumps of hair were falling out at a time. Her alopecia also spread to her face, and she lost all of her eyebrows and her eyelashes 
lashes. And this was just absolutely devastating for Christine. But what made this whole situation a million times harder for Christine was that she was bullied at school because she had alopecia. The children started to notice that there were bald patches forming on her head and they teased her relentlessly, which, oh my God, I hate to hear this. I really do. I hate bullying. They would just point and laugh at her and they would call her names. Now, Christine did start to buy wigs because she wanted to fit in again. She wanted the bullying to stop, but the family didn't have a lot of money. So the wigs that they were buying, they were very fake looking. But even when she wore the wigs, the children would run past her and snatch her wig off. And they would laugh at her and tease her even more because she was now wearing wigs. And then to make things even worse for Christine, she had really poor eyesight and she had to wear very thick lenses. And once again, children are horrible sometimes and they teased her relentlessly for this. She would come home from school and she would just burst out crying. She absolutely hated life. She hated school. She never wanted to go. She had no friends and she just became so so withdrawn in herself. She was very isolated. She had no confidence. And she tried moving school, hoping that that would help, hoping that the bullying would stop, but it didn't. And this went on for years, all through elementary school, all through middle school, and it even went through to high school. And you can't help but feel sorry for her in this moment. You can't. So now we get to the early 2000s and some pretty significant things happen in Christine's life. First of all, Christine actually actually returned to the care of her mom. So her mom had been struggling with a drug addiction, but she had worked so hard. She had gotten clean, gotten back on her feet. Christine's mom had also gotten remarried. She had a stable job. So once the family were back together, the family decided that it was time for a fresh start. So they moved from New York to Clear Lake City in Texas. And this is where the rest of today's case takes place. So once the family had settled in Clear Lake City, Christine got herself a boyfriend. And this was a young boy called Chris Snyder. And the two of them hit it off immediately. And Christine felt like there was finally somebody out there that cared about her. Because other than Christine's family, she didn't have any friends. She never got attention off anyone, off boys, nothing. But then there was Chris Snyder and he showed her attention. However, let's just say Chris was not the best influence because shortly after they got together, 15-year-old Chris committed grand theft auto and he was sent to juvie for three years. So the relationship, if it was even a relationship at this point, was very fleeting. However, Chris does come back up in this story. But as soon as Chris was sent to juvie, things went back to how they always were for Christine. She was back on her own. Nobody cared about her. She had no friends. She was teased about her alopecia, about the fact that she wore wigs, about her glasses. But this time she was also teased about how she did her makeup. And I'm just like, really? What the hell? Are we really doing this? However, this time things would actually be slightly different for Christine because she came across two girls that were very popular. I'm talking about at the top called Rachel and Tiffany, and they would change her life at high school significantly. So Rachel Colarutas was born on the 20th of November, 1984. And she grew up in Texas with her parents and her two sisters and her brother. And she loved spending time with her family. They were a really tight-knit family. And Rachel just loved life. Like she loved doing anything. And she was an extremely active child. She would never sit still. She was always joining in with what others were doing. She was very social. She loved to cook. She loved to draw. And she was an extremely talented artist. She was also very active in her local church and she also loved children. She was always up for babysitting. She really was that kind of person where you could go to her, ask for help, and she would say yes because she wanted to help you. And one other thing that I found out about Rachel's childhood was that she loved crime television. She grew up watching CSI, NCIS, Law and & Order, and it's said that whenever these TV shows 
shows were on. She was so obsessed. She would love to sit down and watch them. And I know I can relate to that. And I'm sure some of you can relate to that. And because she was obsessed with these kinds of TV programs, she actually dreamed of having a job in some kind of law enforcement, maybe a police officer or an FBI agent, which that just sounds like me. <laughs> Although I didn't want to join the FBI, obviously, because I'm in the UK. I wanted to join the MI5. And Rachel was just living her best life and she was currently attending Clear Lake High School. And it was at Clear Lake High School where she met her best friend, Tiffany. So Tiffany Rao was born on the 24th of April, 1985. She also grew up in Texas with her parents, Sally and Chester. Now, Tiffany was adopted at a very young age and growing up, she was described as friendly, loving. She always had a radiant smile on her face. And like Rachel, Tiffany was very, very close with her parents. But sadly, Tiffany had also faced tragedy in her life because when Tiffany was just 13 years old, her mom passed away from lung cancer. Now this absolutely devastated Tiffany. She was so close to her mom. But as the years went by, Tiffany built herself back up. She threw herself into her school life. She found a boyfriend that she was really close with. She was also a very talented actress and she had dreams of one day becoming a social worker. And after the loss of her mom and just everything that she was going through, she also grew even closer with her best friend, Rachel. The two of them became inseparable. And Tiffany, just like Rachel, she was now living her best life at Clear Lake High School. So now we need to get back to Christine. And she had just started attending Clear Lake High School. And the same thing happened again. As soon as she started attending this school, she was bullied relentlessly. And one day, Tiffany and Rachel, who were a school year above Christine, so they didn't know Christine, obviously they didn't share classes or anything, but one day they saw the bullying happening with their own eyes. And they were like, what the hell is going on? And they thought to themselves, why the hell is this poor girl who has done absolutely nothing to anyone being bullied so relentlessly just because of her appearance. And because they saw the bullying happening and because the bullying was so bad, Tiffany and Rachel were just like, you know what, we're gonna do something about this. So Tiffany and Rachel went over to Christine to see if she was okay. They were nice to Christine. And they also asked Christine, do you want to be our friend? So they reached out a helping hand to Christine when no one else would. Now, Rachel and Tiffany, they were popular. You know the kind, they were the two most popular girls in the school. They walked around and they ran the school. And maybe this is just a stereotype. Normally the popular kids, they're not very nice. At least they weren't very nice in my school. But Rachel and Tiffany were the complete opposite of that. They had huge social circles. They were liked and admired by everyone. Everyone wanted to be their friend and everyone wanted to be around them. But the difference was is Rachel and Tiffany were actually nice people. I know gobsmacked. So because they befriended Christine, this held some power because everybody else in the school were like, well, if Rachel and Tiffany want to be her friend, then we also want to be her friend. So just purely from this small gesture from Rachel and Tiffany, Christine's life at high school pretty much changed in an instant. So the three of them, Christine, Tiffany and Rachel started hanging out together and Christine was over the moon. She could not believe what was happening. She thought that she had won the jackpot and the three of them really hit it off. And now the three of them were inseparable. Christine really did slot perfectly into this friendship group. They were going to the movies together. They would hang out at each other's houses. They were always together in school, despite being in different grades. And Rachel and Tiffany were really turning Christine's life around. Christine was also making other friends because the popular kids liked Christine. So now other people wanted to like Christine. And Rachel and Tiffany also decided to help Christine and give her a makeover. The three of them went out shopping. Tiffany and Rachel helped Christine pick out new wigs, wigs that were a little bit more natural looking. They helped pick out new makeup for Christine and they taught her how to apply makeup as well. And they also helped her choose contact lenses 
so that she no longer had to wear her glasses and Christine pretty much looked like a completely different person. Now I feel like I want to point out here because this is something that really, really annoys me about this case. Everyone keeps saying that Christine was an ugly duckling and she turned into a swan. I cannot even tell you how frustrated that makes me and angry. You don't have to do any of this. You don't have to change your hair. You don't have to choose a new wig. You don't have to wear contact lenses. You can apply makeup however you want. You don't have to do this to be a swan. None of this matters and it it shouldn't matter. But unfortunately, this is high school and unfortunately, this is the world. We know how toxic certain environments can be and you are judged by the way you look, especially in high school. If you look even remotely different to what is considered normal, you will be picked on, bullied, teased. So now that Christine looked more normal, her school life, her life completely turned around. And pretty much the bullying not just because of her appearance, but because she was friends with Tiffany and Rachel, the bullying completely stopped. And now Christine was also one of the popular kids in school. And Christine now looked forward to going to school. And Christine would always tell her mom about Tiffany and Rachel and how Tiffany and Rachel were the sweetest girls that she ever met. They were the best friends that she could have ever wished for. And things had changed so much for Christine that not long after receiving her makeover, Christine was voted Miss Irresistible. Yeah, you heard that right. Miss Irresistible. Now, I don't know what age she is when she gets this, but oh, she must have been 15, possibly 16. Are we really, really calling 15 to 16 year olds Miss irresistible. Now I have never heard this before. Now obviously I am in the UK. We don't have any of this or at least we didn't have it when I was at school. And I understand being voted um, prom king and prom queen and all stuff like that. Like I get that. That's no big deal. But Miss Irresistible? Miss Irresistible for a child. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, that, that feels weird to me. I don't know. I don't want to offend anybody. Is that normal? Does that happen in a lot of schools in the US? I'm really sorry if I have offended somebody. But to me, voting children Miss Irresistible is just weird. But anyway, that's beside the point. What I'm trying to say though is you can really see how Christine's high school life has completely turned around and Christine was actually happy and she was actually confident. Well, she was building confidence and she was so comfortable around Rachel and Tiffany that when they were hanging out at each other's houses, Christine would quite often take her wig off and hang out with them without her wig on, which is something that she never did for anybody. So it is now 2003. At this point, Christine is halfway through her junior year. So she's just about to turn 17. And Rachel and Tiffany are halfway through their senior year. So at this point, a few years have passed since Christine had first started Clear Lake High School. And the three of them still remained really good friends, like best friends, inseparable. And Christine was still living a great life at high school. The bullying hadn't returned. But in 2003, at this halfway point in the school year, a significant character would pop back up and that would be Chris Snyder. Uh-huh, yeah, he's just got out of juvie. Christine's little love interest. And Chris and Christine pick things up right where they left off. And I forgot to point this out earlier, but Chris and Christine, very similar names. So Chris Snyder, I didn't really go into him earlier because it wasn't really relevant at that time, but now what do we know about Chris Snyder? Well, first of all, when I was doing my research, a lot of sources said that Chris Snyder was 21 years old at this point in the story. However, he was not 21 years old. I've looked at official sources like police records and Chris Snyder is currently 18 years old at this point in the story. But if you look online, there are a lot of sources that say that Chris is 21 years old at this point. And I think that this is pretty significant because if Chris Snyder was 21 years old at this point and Christine was only 17, that is a huge difference. I know it's only four years, but we have a minor and an adult. There is a power imbalance there, possibly abuse, 
grooming. However, when you realize that Chris Snyder is actually only 18 years old, he's only one school year above Christine. So then when you think, oh, an 18 year old and a 17 year old, that puts them on more of a level playing field. And it definitely 100% changes the narrative completely when you realize his actual age. But anyway, I just thought that that was something significant that I needed to point out. However, Chris is still not a very good influence. He was actually in a very serious accident when he was only 12 years old, he was hit by a truck, which is like bloody hell. And he suffered terrible injuries. And from this accident, he was left with lifelong personality changes. He was a very angry person. He was very volatile. He was always getting into fights and his family had to call the police on him multiple times. He was also big into drugs, which is very significant for today's case, let me tell you. He did smoke weed, but he was into a lot harder drugs like cocaine and heroin. He already, at only the age of 18, had a pretty a detailed criminal record. We obviously know that he went to juvie for Grand Theft Auto, but from the moment that they rekindled their romance, Christine became absolutely infatuated with him. She did have abandonment issues, which is actually understandable given how many people she has actually lost in her life. But this kind of did lead her to be very clingy, very possessive. And Christine was also apparently drawn to Chris because he had this bad boy image. And apparently Christine liked the idea of fixing him. But there was one problem. No one, apart from Christine, liked Chris, which included Rachel and Tiffany. Pretty much everyone around Christine could see that he wasn't a good influence on her and didn't want to see Christine possibly going down the wrong path. But no matter how much people tried to warn her, tried to give her advice, she wouldn't listen. She would ignore them all. And things from this moment would slowly, not really slowly actually, quite quickly go downhill. So given that Chris has this bad boy image and Christine is obsessed with him, this led to a very, very toxic relationship because Chris introduced Christine. It is very confusing because they have the same, basically the same bloody name. Chris introduced Christine to drugs, which is something that until this moment, she had never tried before, not a single drug. And she became addicted to drugs very quickly. The two of them would constantly argue and these arguments would get physical. Christine would accuse Chris of being physically abusive to her. But not just that, apparently Chris would do everything in his power to embarrass Christine because he wanted to show Christine that he was in charge, he was in control. So he would do things like pull off her wig in front of her friends. And I just want to add, because I forgot to actually say this, but Chris never went to high school. So he would just turn up at Christine's high school and embarrass her in front of her own friends by pulling off her wig. And obviously that is absolutely disgusting if it's true, because that was only one side of the story. That is obviously Christine's side of the story. However, Chris and Chris's family paint a very different picture. Chris's family are under no illusion that Chris wasn't always great. However, Christine was just as bad because Christine has obviously said that Chris would sometimes physically abuse her, but apparently Christine was just as abusive back. She would shout at him. She would always goad him into trying to make him hit her. She would slap him, kick him, push him around. She was also very possessive and controlling. She was a very insecure, very jealous person. And she was particularly jealous when Chris would even look in the direction of another girl, which given what she's gone through with her alopecia, I feel like we can all understand her insecurities. However, her insecurities translated into very toxic behavior, very controlling behavior. So even though from Christine's point of view, Chris was the one that was controlling, abusive, and the one to be scared of, it kind of seems like it might have been the other way around. She would want to spend 24 hours every single day with Chris. So Chris's family, his mom, dad, and his sister, they saw a lot of their relationship. And they said that they were constantly arguing, shouting all the time. They would hear physical fights. There was one time, and I think this actually happened a couple of times, but there was one time where Chris and Christine had a huge argument and Chris kicked Christine out of his house and Christine would not leave. And she actually slept 
all night on the front lawn. She just camped out on the front lawn, refusing to leave. She was an absolute nightmare absolute nightmare and Chris's family would call her psycho. And then there was one incident, which is just bizarre. It's, it really is just bizarre. So Christine and Chris are having one of their many arguments and Christine is actually goading Chris into hitting her. She's saying things like, hit me, hit me, go on, hit me. And Chris wasn't responding to Christine. He was just stood there. So Christine licked his face from chin to forehead. She just licked his face. And Chris even told his family that there are only two things in the whole world that he is scared of. And that is number one, the cops. And number two, Christine. So even though Chris and Christine, they do both seem very bad, from my research, it does seem like Christine is the more dominant one in the relationship, the one that is a little bit more toxic even though they're both toxic. So Christine wasn't just a nightmare for Chris's family because Chris's family weren't the biggest fans of her. She was also a nightmare for her own family because she was always breaking curfew, being at Chris's house. She was always running away from home saying that she was going to live with Chris. And if her parents ever tried to stop her, Christine would physically attack her parents. There was one time where things got so out of hand, it was one of the times where Christine was trying to leave the house to go to Chris's and her parents were trying to stop her, that Christine pulled out a knife and took it to her wrists and said that she was going to kill herself. And when Christine's stepdad tried to defuse the situation, tried to calm her down, Christine turned the knife on him. Now, thankfully, the stepdad managed to grab her arm and get the knife out of her hand. But this just shows you the extreme lengths that Christine will go to. So we now get to the summer of 2003. And Chris and Christine had been dating for a few months now and things were not going well in Christine's life at all. Firstly, her drug use had become heavier and heavier. And also because she was spending so much time with Chris, Christine had grown further and further away from Rachel and Tiffany. Rachel and Tiffany had actually graduated at this point and they were living on their own actually. Tiffany's dad had moved out of town so Tiffany and Rachel were living in Tiffany's house and they were loving their freedom now that they had left school. They were spending the summer partying and having fun, hanging out. Tiffany's boyfriend, the one that I briefly mentioned earlier, he was 19 year old Marcus Priscilla. He had also moved into the house with Tiffany and Rachel. And Marcus's cousin, 21-year-old Adalbert Sanchez, would also quite often be at the house. And Marcus and Adalbert, they were also living their best lives. They were like brothers, even though they were cousins. They had big plans to go to college and they just loved hanging out and having fun. So it was the four of them at this house a lot and they would throw parties at this house. I mean, you can imagine it, can't you? Because there's no adults at this house. I mean, I know technically all four of them are adults, but you know what I mean. There's no adults at this house. So there was quite wild parties at this house. It was known as the party spot. There was some drug use going on. And apparently Marcus also dealt some drugs on the side. And of course, Christine wanted to be involved in these parties. I mean, Rachel and Tiffany were her best friends. Of course she wanted to be there. But right now, Christine was on the outside. She had tried to get involved in these parties, but there was one problem nobody liked Chris. And Tiffany and Rachel kept saying to Christine, you can come to the parties, just don't bring Chris. But of course, Christine is obsessed with Chris. She wants to spend every single waking hour with him. So she was like, um, no, we come as a package deal. So Christine wasn't really going to the parties. She may have gone to the odd one, but she wasn't in the group anymore. And there was a lot of resentment building. She felt like Rachel and Tiffany were trying to cut her out. They were trying to split her and Chris up. And there was also another thing that may have affected the way Christine felt because apparently it said that Rachel had had a fling with Chris. Yeah, I know. I have seen things online that indicate that Rachel did have a little thing going on with Chris. Now, I do just want to point out that it hasn't been confirmed, but there are some things that I have seen in my research that do 
lead me to believe that it's true. So yes, that's definitely another complication. And I also don't know when this apparent fling happened. Did it happen before Chris and Christine? Did it happen whilst Chris and Christine were together? I don't know. I can't tell you the details. I just know that apparently there was something going on between Rachel and Chris. So because of this and because of everything, Christine was furious. She had a lot of resentment. And also Chris didn't like what they were doing either. Chris didn't like the fact that they were bad-mouthing him, that they were painting him out to be this really bad person. So Chris and Christine started to plot their revenge. And the plan that they came up with was that they were going to crash one of the wild parties that they had and they were going to rob them. They wanted to steal drugs because remember, Marcus did deal some drugs on the side. Well, they were going to crash a party and rob the place. But unfortunately, that is not what would happen. Things would go terribly wrong that would end in absolute tragedy. So now we get to the 18th of July, 2003. Rachel and Tiffany are planning to throw one of their huge parties on this night. So Rachel, Tiffany, Marcus and Adelbert, they were all hanging out at Tiffany's house together. They were just chilling out, getting ready for the party, relaxing. However, later that afternoon at approximately 4.30pm. One of Tiffany's friends, Brittany, was calling Tiffany. She was calling to see about the party. What time should I turn up? All the details, etc. But Tiffany was not answering the phone. So a couple of hours go by and Brittany is thinking, why hasn't Tiffany gotten back to me? What's going on? What's going on with the party? Is it even still happening? So she arrives at Tiffany's house for the party and she's banging on the door and no one answers. And now Brittany is thinking, what the hell is going on? They're not answering the phone. Now they're not answering the door. So she keeps banging and banging on the front door and she is banging the door with that much force that it actually starts to creep open because it's unlocked and the door starts to slowly open. So Brittany goes inside and she starts calling Tiffany. Tiffany, where are you? What's going on? And that is when she enters the living room and she walks into a complete horror scene. She runs out of that house screaming. What she would have seen on that day has probably never left her because she finds the bodies of Tiffany, Rachel, Adelbert, and Marcus. All of them are dead. All of them are covered in blood. That living room is covered in blood. So the police are immediately called. And when they enter the house, this is what they find. They find Adalbert sat on the couch with his eyes closed, almost looking peaceful. But sadly, he had received multiple gunshot wounds to the forehead, neck, arm and torso. Tiffany was sat on the same couch, just on the other end of the couch. She again looked quite peaceful. She actually had her feet up. The couch was a reclining couch and the recliner bit was up and she had one of her legs on the recliner bit. But sadly, she had also received multiple gunshot wounds to the forehead, chin, left cheek, shoulder, abdomen and right knee. And there was also a gunshot wound to her crotch area. They also find Marcus. He is lying on the floor. He has also received multiple gunshot wounds to the head, stomach, forearm, and shoulder. He had also been beaten with blunt force trauma to the back of his head. Also, as well as this, he had received at point blank range a bullet to the back of the head, execution style. And finally, Rachel was found and Rachel had the worst injuries out of all four of them. She had been shot 12 times. She had received the most gunshot wounds than any of the other victims with five gunshot wounds in her right thigh, three in her left shin, as well as being shot in the foot, the abdomen and the backside. And there was a lot of gunshot wounds to Rachel's back, the back of her body, which suggests that at least for some of the gunshot wounds, she was actually running away from the attacker. She was also found further away from the couch 
than the other victims. Again, further evidence that she was running away. And finally, and this is very disturbing, as Rachel is lying there dying, she had also been shot one final time directly into her vagina. And what makes this whole scene so heartbreaking is that next to Rachel was her mobile phone and they could see that 911 had been dialed, but she just hadn't been able to press call. I mean, we don't know if that phone call would have saved any of their lives, but it may have done. But because that phone call hadn't been made, all four, Tiffany, Rachel, Marcus, and Adalbert had lost their lives. And there are pictures of this crime scene online, which you can find, and I will tell you they are very distressing. They are very graphic and they are so extreme. It was determined straight away that this was overkill. In total, 40 shots had been made for four victims. And given the way all of the victims were found, really, but especially Rachel, there was so much rage in that attack, especially against Rachel. And the fact that Tiffany was shot in her crotch area and then Rachel was shot directly in her vagina, police very quickly came to the conclusion that this was probably a personal attack that was possibly even fueled by sexual jealousy. However, at the scene, there was no evidence, which is crazy to me because the crime scene is a mess. I just don't know how there was no evidence, but there was no evidence indicating who had done this. Nothing appeared to have been stolen. It literally just seems like someone walked in, killed all four victims, and then walked back out. The news soon got back to the families of the four victims. And as you can imagine, they were all absolutely devastated. And the news also broke to the public who were in complete shock because the neighborhood was peaceful. Things like this didn't happen. And then the news also got back to Christine. And apparently Christine was devastated when she heard the news. Apparently she couldn't get out of bed for days because she was that devastated. She actually didn't even go to the funeral of her two best friends because she was so devastated. So the police are obviously investigating, trying to see who the hell did this. But because there was no evidence at the scene and because they did find out that Marcus dealt some drugs on the side, they kind of quickly came to the conclusion that this must have been a drug deal gone wrong. They definitely came to the conclusion that Marcus was this big time dealer when he wasn't. He dealt a little bit, but he wasn't like this big time dealer making these big deals. And because they thought that it was a drug deal gone wrong, they didn't really investigate the murders that much more. Which is just crazy to me. Why would you not look into the people around these four victims? Why wouldn't you look at people that would possibly have a personal vendetta against the victims? And uh, they certainly didn't look into Christine. Mm -hmm. And because of this, because they were really going with their theory of drug deal gone wrong, the case went cold. So some more time passes. Chris and Christine continue on their relationship as if nothing has happened. They both carry on taking drugs and their drug addiction is just spiraling. And that is pretty much how Christine's senior year goes. There's nothing really much to report. So now we get to the summer of 2004, which is a year after the murders. The police still have not made any progress in the investigation. Christine graduates from high school. You can see her graduation photo. She is smiling without a care in the world. But just after Christine's graduation, a few significant things would happen. First of all, Chris was sent back to prison. And Christine was 18 at this point, and she also did find herself in trouble with the law. She was arrested for shoplifting. And I'm pretty sure that this was her first offense. And because it was her first offense, the court told her that as punishment, that she should check into rehab. That would be her punishment. So she goes to rehab at the age of 18. I don't think she's very happy about going to rehab. And when she's at rehab, she meets a new man, a man called Justin Rott. 
Now, Justin was a few years older than Christine. He had been a very heavy drug user since his teenage years and he was addicted to heroin. And after graduating from school, he joined the army, but he got kicked out very quickly for failing a drugs test. And that's when he ended up in the San Antonio Rehab Center, which is now where Christine is. Now, apparently one key bit of advice that is given to people when they go to rehab is do not enter into a romantic relationship with a recovering addict. But Christine and Justin didn't listen to this. And I feel like we just got to hold up for a second here. Christine was obsessed with Chris. She seems to have moved on very quickly. So anyway, Christine and Justin form a relationship and they both eventually leave rehab. They continue on their relationship. They move into a halfway house. They both meet each other's families. Like this is a serious relationship. And even though they've gone against all advice to not get into a relationship with each other, they manage to stay clean. And by the time 2005 rolls around, they have been together for a few months. And this is when they spontaneously decide to get married. I know, they just woke up one day and thought, let's get married. That will be a good idea. And they got married just before Christine's 19th birthday. Now, if you remember right at the very beginning of this story, when I spoke about Christine's dad being killed in that construction accident, remember his life insurance policy was going to leave all the money to Christine when she turned 18. Well, now Christine is 19, out of rehab with a new husband. She comes into that money, which is a lot of money. She receives 360 thousand dollars. Christine now has all of this money and she buys her and Justin a nice condo in Webster, Texas, which is literally just outside of Clear Lake. And the two of them live happily ever after. The end. But unfortunately, that would not be the end because Christine is a murderer. And it had almost been two years since the murder at this point. Honestly, it really is gobsmacking how the police literally just didn't investigate this case. But the case hasn't been forgotten. Over those two years since the murders, the families of the victims had been campaigning for people to come forward and a huge $100,000 reward had been offered through Crime Stoppers. And apparently this was the largest reward money through Crime Stoppers ever at the time of this case. The police had over 400 leads, but none of them went anywhere. And then finally we get to July of 2005 and this is the two year anniversary. And this is where something very significant happens. So because it was the two year anniversary, the local news channel were running the story on the Clear Lake murders. And at this moment, Christine and her new husband, Justin, were in their nice little condo watching the news. And on the news report, they release sketches of the two suspects. And whilst Christine is watching the news, she sees those sketches and she goes into a full on panic. She gets up and she starts pacing around the room and Justin is like, what are you doing? What is going on? Why are you freaking out so much? And Christine, I really mean she was freaking out. She was like biting her nails. She was going out of her mind and she turns to Justin and says, do you think that sketch looks like me? Now, Justin looks at the sketches and he doesn't say anything. And when he didn't respond, because a lack of words is sometimes the loudest answer, when he didn't respond, Christine broke down crying. And this is when she told Justin everything. This was the first time, apparently, the first time that Christine had confided in somebody that she was involved in the Clear Lake murders, that she had been involved in the murder of her two best friends, Rachel and Tiffany, and Tiffany's boyfriend, Marcus, and his cousin, Adelbert. And after this shocking revelation, Justin and Christine, they basically go on the run. They leave their condo and they just start staying in motels, one motel after another. Christine has actually become so scared of going out in public, she rarely leaves the motel room. And because of the stress of the situation and everything that is going on, 
both Christine and Justine relapse. And things just went from bad to worse. They ended up selling the condo and using all of the money from the sale of the condo to fund their drug habit. And they basically just end up living out of motel rooms. They stop looking after themselves. They're basically living in squalor. And it goes on like this for the next year. So we now get to July of 2006, which is three years after the murders. And it is now where things start to completely unravel because an anonymous caller phones the police and says that they have information about the Clear Lake murders. This caller started talking about a girl that they had met in rehab who was Christine Paolilla. And Christine, apparently, when she was in rehab, bragged about the murders, bragged that she was involved in the murder of her two best friends. And this anonymous caller knew details about the crime scene that no one other than the police and the perpetrator would know. They immediately put out a warrant for Christine's arrest. But of course, Christine is on the run. However, it wasn't too hard for the police to find Christine because she used her ATM card and they managed to find out which motel she was staying at and they turn up at her motel and they arrest her. But when they entered the motel room, the police were actually convinced that they were going to find bodies in that room because it just smelt like death. Because like I said, Christine and Justin had stopped looking after themselves. And in this room, there were hundreds, and I really do mean hundreds of needles just everywhere. There was blood everywhere. There was also vomit and dog feces. They clearly had a dog, but I don't know any information other than there was dog feces. And it just really smelled like it was just horrible. I don't know how long they were in this particular motel room, but they had stopped looking after themselves and there was just bodily fluids everywhere. But they were alive, barely. And the police arrest Christine and they also bring Justin in for questioning. So they get Christine into an interview room and the first thing they notice is that she is in a very bad state. Cannot stress how many drugs both Christine and Justin were taking every single day. So already she's having withdrawal symptoms. But the police press on with the interview anyway and they ask Christine what the hell was going on. And this is when Christine gave her version of events. And this is just her first version because she did change her story a couple of times. So Christine said that the whole thing, the whole thing, everything had been her ex, Chris. When he wants something done, you know, there, there's no, there's no if, ands, or buts. It was Chris's idea to rob the place, steal drugs. He told me that like the stuff that Marcus had some good on that day chris went into the house alone christine she was not involved she just waited in the car so chris went into the house on his own to rob the place things had gotten out of hand apparently chris returned to the car and told christine that he had murdered everybody in that house he did it did what However, Justin was in the next room and he was telling the police everything. He was telling the police that a year ago when that news report came on and the sketches flashed up, that is when Christine came clean and told him everything. And Justin was able to give the police exact detail of what happened, or at least what Christine had told him had happened. And even though Christine probably wasn't completely honest with Justin. She was more honest with Justin than she was with the police. So Justin told the police that Christine and Chris basically did everything together. They came up with the plan to rob the place together, to steal the drugs. They both went into the house. They were both armed and they carried out the murders together. So then back in the interview room with Christine, the police told Christine that Justine was contradicting everything that she was saying. Why would your husband tell us that one of them was crawling on the ground and that you admitted 
you admitted to striking Rachel. I never said that. And all of a sudden, Christine starts to feign illness. She starts saying, oh, I need to go to hospital. I need a nurse. I need someone to give me something. I just need to see a nurse. So if they like, like give me something. All of a sudden, she starts pulling out her acting skills and pretends to be ill. And I really do mean she is pretending because as soon as the officer walks out of the room, her whole demeanor changes. She goes from being curled up in a ball on the chair to when the officer goes out the room, she stands up, she's walking around, she's completely fine. But she actually is sent to hospital for treatment. And the following day, when she returns to the police station, her story has completely changed. She says to the officers, yeah, Justin was right. However, Chris still forced her to do everything. Very controlling, very, very scary person. It was still Chris's fault. Everything was Chris's fault. She was there, she was in the house, but Chris made her go into that house. Chris gave her the gun. Chris made her pull the trigger. I thought that, you know, he was gonna shoot me. She actually said that she was holding the gun and Chris, he was shooting his gun and then he reached over and put his hand on her hand, holding the trigger, and then forced her finger to pull the trigger. And what was he telling you? One, two, three? He, he was holding on to it, too. Okay, like on top of your hand or something? Yes. Like, yeah, like I, I, I couldn't even speak to you how it was. Like, Does she really think that anyone is going to believe that? And the police, they didn't believe it because it's a load of BS. And she was charged with four counts of first degree murder. So now the police had one more important thing to do and that was find Chris. Now Chris had obviously been sent to prison while in that three year period he had been released. They went over to his house to arrest him, but he wasn't there. And his family said that they didn't know where he was. But it turns out that after this, one of the family members did manage to get in contact with Chris and tell him that the police were looking for him and that he was wanted for murder. And then this family member on the phone also said to Chris, go do what you need to do. And after receiving that phone call from a family member that the police were looking for him, he knew his time was up. He knew that he had committed these murders and that he would go to prison, possibly get the death penalty. So he gathered up as many pills as he could find and he went out into the woods and he overdosed and took his own life. And after two weeks of the police looking for him, they finally found his body in Woodland area. So the trial went ahead, but obviously it was now just Christine at trial and her defense decided to use this to their advantage because now it was just Christine's version of events. Chris wasn't there to contradict her and they decided because Chris wasn't there to defend himself, they were going to pin everything on Chris. They tried to paint Chris that he was very abusive and that he forced Christine into doing this. It was all Chris. Chris's idea, Chris did everything. And they also decided to dress Christine up in a little pink headband. And they wanted to make her look very innocent. And the clothes that she is wearing throughout trial, she basically looks like a schoolgirl. They wanted to paint her out to be this innocent, sweet, young girl. However, the prosecution had a different version of events. They were able to piece together what they thought happened based on Justin's testimony, based on the crime scene, the evidence that they did have, eyewitness testimony, the account from the person at rehab that Christine had bragged about all of this to, and they put together the more likely story of what happened. So the prosecution don't know whether the murders were planned or not, but they had both stormed into the house with the intention of robbing the place, of stealing the drugs, and they went in armed. But once inside, the pressure got too much, and it is thought that Chris did fire the first shot. Chris first shot Marcus, and then following this, all hell broke loose. Chris then shot Adalbert, and then Christine decided to join in, and she started firing her gun, and Christine shot Tiffany first. I really do mean all hell broke loose. Both Chris Chris and Christine were just shooting randomly everywhere and all four victims had received gunshot wounds. But this is when Christine saw Rachel was trying to get away. And this is when Christine started to fire 
at Rachel, which is why she has gunshot wounds to the backside of her body. And then following this, Chris and Christine, after shooting everyone 40 times, they ran out of the house. But as soon as they were outside in the car, Christine said to Chris, I need to go back inside and make sure they're all dead. So Christine went back inside and it is now thought that this is when Rachel was reaching for her phone to dial 911. Christine saw that Rachel was doing this and Christine launched a vicious attack on Rachel. Christine beat Rachel multiple times with the back end of her gun. At this point, Rachel put her hands up trying to defend herself and she was saying to Christine, why are you doing this? But Christine just ignored Rachel and continued to beat her until she was dead. And then following this, Christine then shot Rachel directly into her vagina. And then after committing these absolutely brutal murders. It is thought that Chris and Christine went to a motel room. They drank a load of alcohol. They did a load of drugs. They had sex. And then after a few hours, Christine went to work. She was working at Walgreens and she was working at a makeup counter and she just went to work as if nothing happened. And that is the most likely version of what exactly happened. And the jury found Christine Payalilla guilty of four counts of first degree murder. Now she would have received the death penalty, but because she was 17 at the time of the murders, she was a minor, she was sentenced to life in prison and she will be eligible for parole in 2046 at the age of 60. Now following the trial, because obviously she's been found guilty, one main question that everyone still had was, why? Why did she launch such a vicious attack on her best friends? You have to remember that. Now, there are obviously speculation and theories online. The main theory is that Chris and Christine, they were obviously taking drugs and they were very addicted to drugs. So all of this was just fueled by drugs. And then there are other theories that Christine was angry with Rachel and Tiffany because she felt like they were drifting apart. But then there is the other theory that Rachel had had a fling with Chris and Christine was jealous of Rachel. Now that theory is not widely discussed and I don't even know how concrete the evidence is to even support that theory but when I was doing my research you guys know that I like to dig and I like to find answers. I like to know what has happened in cases and I came across a reddit thread where Chris's sister is talking to people in this thread. And I know you can't confirm that it was Chris's sister in that thread, but I do believe that it was because a lot of the things that she has said in that thread could be backed up by official sources. Chris's sister did allude to the fact that Chris and Rachel had had a fling and that Rachel's dad even said that Rachel and Chris had had a fling. And to me, even though that theory is not widely discussed, that makes so much sense to me because Rachel, out of all four victims, got the worst injuries. That would also explain why Christine shot Rachel directly in her vagina. And then what about Chris? Because obviously he is just as guilty, but I do believe that Christine was the mastermind behind this plan. Because we have to remember that even though Chris apparently shot first, we don't know that. That has just come from Christine. But after the murders, Chris was very remorseful. He wasn't himself and he was very suicidal after these murders. And obviously he did end up taking his own life. But Christine, on the other hand, she was at rehab bragging about what she had done. So even though they are both guilty, they both committed murder, it definitely seems like Christine, just based on their actions, at least after the murders, Christine was the more dominant one. But unfortunately, I don't think we'll ever actually know what happened because the only person that is telling a story is Christine and she is never going to tell the story that paints her in the worst light. But either way, regardless of the motive, the murder still happened and a tragedy occurred. And at the scene next to Rachel's dead body, which is just truly heartbreaking, they found Rachel's purse and inside of her purse was a picture of Christine. And on the back of the photo was a message written by Christine that said, damn, we've had some crazy memories. I love you. And I think that really just sums up 
the whole case doesn't end. Rachel and Tiffany were amazing friends to Christine. They truly did love her. But I want to end this remembering the victims of this case. Adalbert Sanchez was described as a happy, friendly and caring young man. He loved rap music. He sang in a local group. He planned on going to college to study computer technology. And he also had dreams of one day becoming a rap artist. But most of all, he was incredibly close with his family, including his parents, his sister, who was his best friend, and his cousin Marcus, who was like a brother to him. His family miss him incredibly. He was only 21 years old. Marcus Priscilla was described as a compassionate, generous, and loving young man. He loved restoring and fixing up cars. He loved spending time with family, but most of all, he loved spending time with his girlfriend, Tiffany, who he had been with for three years. It is said that the two were incredibly happy together and their happiness was contagious to be around. Marcus had big plans to go to college and he was taken far, far too soon. He was only 19 years old. Tiffany Rowell was described as a sweet, caring and happy young woman. She was a talented actress. She loved her family. But most of all, she loved spending time with her best friend Rachel and her boyfriend Marcus. She had plans to go on to college and she one day dreamed of becoming a social worker. Her family miss her greatly and she was taken far, far too soon. She was only 18 years old. Rachel Colarutas was described as having a huge personality. She was caring, had a quick wit, and she was fun to be around. She was a talented artist. She loved to cook, but most of all, she loved helping out in her community. She had plans to attend college. She loved her country and one day had plans to join the US Air Force. She loved her brother and her two sisters deeply. She was the apple of her mother's eye and her daddy's little girl. They miss her every day and she was taken far, far too soon. She was only 18 years old. And this case is just so tragic because four young people lost their life. They had their whole life ahead of them. And that brings us to the end of this episode on Christine Payalilla. There are no updates on today's case. So thank you so much everyone for listening today. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of The Criminal Makeup. And if you enjoy the show, it would really mean a lot if you could leave a five-star review because it really does help out the podcast. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please take the time to look at the description of this episode for some helpful resources. Special thanks to my producers at Audio Boom Studios and I'll see you all in the next one. 